0: Hey, happy Friday, podcast listener. Uh, This is a departure from our usual format of Data Plus Love and revisiting our select top five format. If you heard our first episode with Judith Becker, you'd know this format can be DataViz or not, and in this case is going strictly strictly pop culture. So if that's not your cup of tea, that's okay. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled Data Plus Love episode in about a week and a half. But today I want to take the opportunity to digress and talk to you about one of my favorite genres of fiction, which is the genre of theme parks gone wrong. Now you're asking yourself, how often does that really happen in fiction, that there's enough of it for you to consider it a genre? And the answer is probably a lot more than you'd expect. One of the things about fiction is that while characters are the drivers of the action, the setting is often a character of its own. If you think about like Batman, for example... Gotham City is a character in the mythos of Batman. If Batman were set in Cincinnati, sorry to my friends in Cincinnati, would not be as iconic. The location is important. Location, 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 as any uh, real estate agent would tell you. Anyway, let's get down to my list. So starting with number five, and these are in no particular order because who really wants to commit to that, right? So number five is Jurassic Park, which is first introduced to us in 1990 in Michael Crichton's original novel, Jurassic Park. Obviously, since then, uh, we've gotten a lot of Jurassic Park content. We've got three Jurassic Park films, two Jurassic World films with a third on the way. We have Camp Cretaceous, a show for children. We've got action figures. We've got video games. I'm sure there's fan fiction. Jurassic Park is part of culture at this point. It came out when I was 11. And I remember the novel is the first novel I ever read cover to cover. In fact, I was so sucked in by it. That I read the entire thing in 24 hours as like an 11 year old uh, in the summer. I just stayed up all night reading until I finished. It was that great because part of the deal was kind of I really wanted to see the movie, which was coming out very soon. There was a lot of hype around it, particularly for kids my age. And uh, if my parents were like, "If you read the book, you can go see the movie," I'm like, "Sounds great." So I gunned that thing down, and I enjoyed both the book and the movie equally. But there's a lot more sort of to the idea of Jurassic Park than just the idea of the dinosaurs run amok, right? The park itself is created by John Hammond, who in the feature film is sort of portrayed as sort of a genial grandfather type who may have been a little dishonest in dealings in the past with his, you know, flea circuses and stuff, but is a well-meaning entertainer who's maybe a little bit misguided in terms of, who he believes he can trust, and their ability to contain natural forces. In the book cover, John Hammond is much more like a a mildly malevolent Walt Disney. He's a lot less friendly. It's very clear. This is more of a cynical cash grab for him. And at the end of the day, it's not really about seeing the delight on children's faces. It's about uh, harnessing the power of these natural forces to make a quick buck. Um, But Jurassic Park, in terms of its story and its narrative structure, to me, has always held more in common with Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, for example. Michael Crichton is a big fan of using a sort of authorial voice character in his works to sort of express his thoughts about the various topics. And in some cases, that character is a little more pronounced than others. So, for example, in one of his other books, A State of Fear, which deals with sort of An impending climate crisis and sort of the hysteria surrounding that. He has a character who's uh, the voice of the author and talks about how oftentimes when we have politicians making choices about science, they don't actually know anything. And if we want to make sure that we're making the best choices, we should make sure that we're funding labs both for, against, and sort of neither, nor, and having all of them review each other's studies— so that we're getting the most honest and accurate representations of all of the science. Uh, Crichton himself was a medical doctor who wrote scripts and small books when he was in med school just to sort of float his way through and ultimately ended up becoming an author, a director, a television producer, everything along the way. So hugely prolific person for a guy who died in his uh, early 60s back in 2008. But anyway, in, in the event of Jurassic Park, uh, the author's voice is Ian Malcolm, both in the film and in the book. And it's a little heavier in the book than in the film, because the book obviously has a lot more space to uh, expand. It's over 400 pages long. But Ian Malcolm's uh, main point, and it's well summarized in the movie, is that um, Hammond has stood on the shoulders of giants to take something that he didn't even fully understand and just sort of develop it and throw it out there, and now he's trying to pull in the benefits from it. And in a way, it's a very sort of Mary Shelley uh, thing like Frankenstein where you're uncoupling science from any sort of personal responsibility or morality. So rather than saying, I have the ability to do this, now let me examine what you know, the correct course of action could be. Instead, it's just the, I have the ability to do this, I have the power, and therefore I must have the right to do this. Um, and that's really, you know, the the sort of key sentiment of the book. In fact, uh, the movie is much more a monster movie than the book. Uh, towards the end of the book, there's actually a denouement, which actually comes after where the movie ends, where there's a whole sort of side quest with Dr. Grant and some of the other characters going to investigate a raptor nest because they're very curious to confirm, are the dinosaurs in fact able to breed despite the fact that they were scientifically engineered not to? And they are able to confirm that, yeah, the dinosaurs are able to exist on their own. Uh, all the contingencies put in place to sort of rein in this natural force have been an absolute failure. Like mankind's hubris was so big that they weren't even able to implement what they had planned originally. So, yeah, uh, Jurassic Park, number five on my list. Great theme park going awry. And number four on my list is from another one of my favorite authors, another techno thriller author who since then has also passed away, but this book in particular has spun out to become a multi-billion dollar enterprise. The book itself, first published in 1998, is massively long. I'm talking about over 600 pages. And no, this isn't a Stephen King book. This is a Tom Clancy book, Rainbow Six. So Rainbow Six first appeared in this novel in 1998 by the same name. And Rainbow is an international anti-terrorist team comprised of six different nations, which have all sort of banded together, taking the best of the best of some of their various teams, and said, okay, we're going to create an off-the-books anti-terrorist squad, which is answerable only to, you know, to us, that can both preempt and prevent future terrorist incidents. So the plot of this novel, and in this case, I'm going to be getting into spoilers. You knew Jurassic Park already, right? So in Rainbow 6, there is an eco-terrorist group that is essentially planning to unleash a doomsday weapon at a closing ceremony at the Olympics Games uh, using a misting cooling system as a method of dispersal. Throughout the entire novel, they're you know, taking homeless people off the streets and sort of offering them like a homeless shelter of sorts while at the same time testing this disease on them to make sure that they can like distill it down to maximum virulence. But at the same time, they also want to make sure, that it has about a two-week window before symptoms become visible. So the idea is that they'll have people from all over the world at the games, they'll release the virus, people won't know they're sick, they'll go home, they'll spread it, and it has a very high um, rate of uh, fatalities. So their idea is that they could uh, have a sort of get back to to nature by wiping out like 90-plus percent of the world's population. And throughout the novel, one of the things that they do to ensure that they can reach this end game is they have several small but sort of catastrophic low-level terrorist events that they have orchestrated around the world. And by doing so, they want to make sure that there's going to be maximum security at the Olympic Games because essentially they have their own security firm, which is going to be hired to run security at the Games so that they can ensure that they can put their plan into place. But one thing they didn't account for was uh, Team Rainbow, which no one knows exists. And in the case of this novel, there is one section of it which takes place in a theme park in Spain. I can't remember the name of the theme park off the top of my head. And I did a little digging. I wasn't really getting anywhere. I can tell you this. Now that Rainbow Six has been a series of very popular games, theme park has been a reoccurring theme within these games. But I can tell you this. The theme park within the novel uh, Rainbow Six is particularly notable because they take children as hostages in the the theme park, which really, really makes you want to root for the good guys that much more because any bad guy that wants to hurt children instantly, you know, it's it's that much worse. So first experimenting on homeless people and then, you know, uh, threatening children in a theme park, uh, never a good look. So my second choice, uh, mostly because I, I love the novel and overall theme, is uh, the Spanish theme park in Rainbow Six. Number three is a novel I guarantee most of you have never heard of, but it's written by Lincoln Child in 2002. Lincoln Child is part of the uh, famed writing team Lincoln Child and Douglas Preston. Typically, they go Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, but over the years, they've written over 20 novels together, um, the first of which was The Relic, which was a splash hit in the mid-'90s and made into a very abysmal movie of Tom Sizemore. Uh, But anyway... This book by Lincoln Child 2002 is called Utopia, based on a theme park of the same name. Utopia is a theme park outside of Las Vegas that is built into a mesa. Basically, a crazy billionaire decided he wanted to build one of the most immersive and exciting theme parks in the world. So he created a domed theme park uh, with sort of a nexus center in the middle of it, which is kind of like if you think of an airport concourse. So the main hub of this entire place is very generic and calming and soothing. But from there, you enter a portal, which is like getting into kind of an elevator. And you feel like you're experiencing horizontal momentum, but really you're just kind of standing in one place. And then the door opens and you're now in one of the various subsections of the park. So there was like a Camelot section. There was a Atlantis section that was under construction. And all these areas of the theme park were incredibly immersive with people of... You know various uh, ethnicities and cultures so that they're sort of accurately representing the time periods or places that they're in. Um, and they had uh, advanced robotics. Uh, for example, in Camelot, they had a dragon show, so they had these incredibly advanced robot dragons. But much like in Rainbow Six with the Spanish theme park, Utopia also fell victim uh, to a hostage situation. In this case, the 65,000 people within Utopia are being held hostage by uh, a team that is uh, has chosen to attack the park and hold it ransom. Uh, Utopia is a really fun novel. It's a techno thriller. In fact, one of the main characters in it is a robotics expert who has been brought in to help investigate the failure of a ride earlier in the book. Um, it's, a, it's a good read. I highly recommend uh, picking it up. I'm a big fan of Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child in general. Number two is a novel by Greg Rucka. The theme is overall very similar to what you'll find in both Utopia and Rainbow Six. In this case, a theme park under siege with children at risk and hostages being taken. In this case, there is a small-yield nuclear weapon in the theme park. In this case, however, the overall theme is not about extortion or money. It's really about trying to stage a terrorist event to, uh, for the military-industrial complex to sort of have an excuse to go to war. So sorry for spoiling that. It's worth the read. Anyway, the main uh, point of this novel by Greg Rucka is the world building. So Greg Rucka's Alpha takes place in a park called Wilsonville. Wilsonville is definitely an analog for Walt Disney World. And it goes to the point of sort of giving you the backstory of the Wilson Corporation, the family behind it, as well as many of the characters, uh, the mascots that populate Wilson World. So, As you're going through the novel, the main character is a character, Jad Bell, which Rucka would repeat in Bravo, which is the sequel to Alpha, which uh, picks up immediately on its hills, much in the way that uh, Quantum of Solace follows Casino Royale and sort of the Bond mythos. It's like the first time there's an actual sequel. Um, In this case, Jad Bell is a special operator who has gone undercover inside Wilson World um, and has been hired as their chief of security. So, you are experiencing the park through his eyes for the first time as he is escorted through the park and sort of getting to know the various lands within the park as well as the face characters that you see and understanding the layout of the park as well as the park security. Um, Rucka is a thriller writer uh, who has written a bunch of thrillers, um, many around his uh, franchise Queen and Country, which he has written both novels and graphic novels of as well as uh, many other types. So he's really into espionage and crime, and this is right up his alley. So if it sounds like something you might enjoy, um, don't consider what I said about the military Industrial Complex a spoiler. It is definitely worth a read. Um, there's lots of twists and turns, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. So number two, Alpha by Greg Rucca. Number one, we're going to wrap this up with a Michael Crichton sandwich. So... If number five was Jurassic Park, number one is Westworld. And most of you are probably familiar with Westworld from the 2016 HBO series, which has been a smash hit, although the third season uh, was iffy. But Westworld was originally created by Crichton in 1973 in a film that he directed and wrote. So like I said before, Crichton was an MD, but went on to become a obviously massively influential author in our time, but he also directed a couple things, including Westworld, and I believe he directed The Great Train Robbery, which was also a novel that he wrote. Um, But Westworld, if you're familiar with it, the idea is what if we could have a theme park that was very immersive and was populated by sort of humanoid cyborgs. So you could go and sort of live your ultimate fantasy. So Westworld is the cowboy-themed park where you could live it up in the Wild West and have shootouts and stagecoach robberies and all of that. And then there was sort of a Greco-Roman world, which was clearly like very orgy-centric, just to say, you know, so the, the, all these different theme parks. But much like Jurassic Park, in fact, Westworld is a proto-Jurassic park in the sense that it's all about hubris. It's all about we've created this thing that we don't fully understand and we believe we have the ability to manage, but we really don't. And in the case of the film, uh, Yul Brenner plays a sort of cowboy robot that goes off the rails and starts uh, hunting people. Um, And we see sort of an echo of that in the 2016 series where there's sort of a man in black character played by Ed Harris. And, and, uh, you know, we talk about like black hats as like the bad guys and white hats as the good guys. That's sort of taken from like cowboy mythos, uh, especially, I guess, spaghetti westerns and that sort of thing. So Yul Brenner, Brenner was like the Black Hat Cowboy, and in the show, uh, Ed Harris is the Black Hat Cowboy, although he is not a host, which is what they call the uh, cyborgs. Um, he is, uh, in fact, also a malevolent force in the park. So Westworld actually, well before we got this follow-up series in 2016, um, had like a Future World spin-off, and then actually had like a TV show like attached to it before, which, uh, let's see, was called oh my gosh, uh, beyond Westworld in like 1980. So yeah, it actually had quite a run. And if you're like, I'm 40, I would think I would know that. But I was born in 1981. So who knows, man, right? But anyway, um, I really love this genre. And if you have any good recommendations for movies, TV shows, books, anything about theme parks that go off the rails, I want to hear about it. So you know, One of the best ways that you can interact with the show now, we've recently changed platforms to Anchor by Spotify, is if you go on our Anchor page, and I'll include it in our show notes, you can actually send in like voice notes to the show, which I can include in the show very easily. So, you know, call into the show using that and let me know um, what you've enjoyed. And because I like to do a bonus round on these select top fives, I want to give you one additional theme park. And that theme park is Wonderworld from Beverly Hills Cop 3. If you're unfamiliar with the Beverly Hills Cop series, you should definitely check it out. It's fun. It's not the best, but Eddie Murphy's charming. In Beverly Hills Cop 3, um, Eddie Murphy's character, Axel Foley, and his partner, Billy, end up uh, dealing with a case surrounding Wonder World, which is also, again, clearly a Disneyland analog. And in this case, it's dealing with the idea of uh, counterfeiting. But most notably, uh, there is a scene with a giant tilt-a-whirl which uh, has broken down and there's children in danger in it. It's a lot of fun. It involves uh, Eddie Murphy climbing it, saving kids. And if you remember early Marvel movies, when there were lots of scenes of Stan Lee grabbing children and pulling them out of the way of falling debris, I can definitely say that Stan Lee ripped that off from George Lucas, because in this movie, George Lucas pulls the exact same stunt showing up in this movie and pulling some kids out of the way by falling tilt-a-whirl, Carl. It's, um, it's, It's fun. And I mean, it's a silly movie. If everyone knows the Axel Foley theme, the dun-dun-dun-dun, that theme plays at least a dozen times in this movie, and especially every time Axel Foley is driving somewhere. And it's LA, so he's driving everywhere, right? So he'll be in his car, and it's dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, and then he pulls up somewhere and closes the door, and immediately the song cuts off. It's like they knew it was a gag, but I'm not sure they did. Anyway. Happy Friday. It's been great talking to you. Uh, Look forward to more great episodes coming soon. And uh, happy uh, December. Talk to you later. Select Top 5 is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is Higher by Monotype. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and get more if you choose or sign up to give that three dollars or more monthly either way i really appreciate it lastly if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work check me out on tableau public so go to public.tableau.com and search for zach bowders i'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me i promise so thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show i really appreciate all of your listens and until next time this has been zach bowders for the data plus love network